Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. With my co-host Eric Raskin, I am Kieran Mulvaney. Uh, we have plenty on the show. We have fights to preview and a half year to review. Yes, we will be looking forward and backward. Upward, but not downward. And always twirling, twirling, twirling toward freedom. Uh, and talking of freedom... Uh, Apologies for being a day late, uh, but we are exercising our constitutionally mandated celebration of uh, this nation's birthday in the most patriotic way possible. I was walking the streets canvassing for the Rapino 2020 presidential campaign. Um, <laughs> and uh, also, this might surprise you, Eric, I, uh, I uh, took part in a big uh, hot dog eating contest there on July 4th. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I wasn't on Coney Island. I was actually in my kitchen. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't really a contest. Um, actually, there was, there was nobody else here. Um, and they were vegan dogs, and, and, and I ate two. Okay. Still, that, that, all, that all sounds much more your speed. Than... <laughs> right. Still, regular little Joey Chestnut. Um, uh, I assume you were engaged in similarly red-blooded All-American celebrations on July 4th. <laughs> uh, in a sense, yes. Uh, I did the most patriotic thing I could possibly think of to do on this particular 4th of July and that was get the hell out of the United States. Uh, I spent the long weekend in Montreal, uh, my first time there. C'est magnifique. See, you're not the only one who can speak foreign languages on the podcast, Karen. Uh, but seriously, what a great city. Uh, I love walking all the different neighborhoods. I love riding the metro, which is like an American subway, only not filthy. Uh, I, I love using a little bit of my high school French, but also knowing that I can fall back on English because everyone there speaks English too. Right. Um, I had a winning day at the Casino de Montreal. Uh, oh, yes. I was in an Uber that drove by the group Yvonne Michel office. So there's my boxing tie-in, uh, making this conversation podcast appropriate. Uh, but it, it's a wonderful city. My wife and I had a lovely three and a half days there and as a scouting mission for a place to move in november 2020 (laughs) if things go poorly for democracy uh, i I would say it was a success you know it's um it is a great city um and uh it's it's just like two hours from my house you know it's like you can get to the center of montreal to my house in like two hours so Hmm. i mean i'd be there every weekend if i were you 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 could have called i mean you could have come and visit (laughs) i mean i was just down the road yeah you're right i could have but but you didn't. No, I didn't. Huh. Well, isn't, isn't it enough just knowing that I could have? Yeah, I was busy anyway. Oh, right, with your two tofu vegan dogs. <laughs> Eating vegan dogs, yes. Yeah. Yes, hey, you know who else has been busy? Gordon Hall and the team at Showtime, who have put together another edition of Showbox, the new generation for our edification and enjoyment. By the way, you didn't react to my, you didn't know, you didn't recognize that Simpsons reference, did you? The whole twirling, twirling, the twirling. Twir- I knew it all sounded familiar, but no, I could not have told you it was Simpsons. I, I wouldn't have been able to place so. it. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, uh, so the latest edition, uh, the latest installment of Showtime, come, it takes me a while to actually respond to these kind of things. The synapses are still a little slow. So if I react a minute 27 to something you said in minute 12, it's just, it's just the way it is. Things are moving a little slow over here. Um, anyway, the latest installment of Showbox comes at us this Friday, beginning at 10 p.m. Eastern, in the form of a triple header from Tacoma, Washington. In the main event, undefeated heavyweight prospect Jermaine Franklin returns as he takes on twice-beaten Jerry Slugger Forrest in a scheduled 10-rounder. Uh, we saw Franklin recently on Showtime on the undercard of Clarissa Shields' quote-confirming win over Christina Hammer as uh, he scored a unanimous decision win over Rydell Booker. And on the one hand, it was a win against the guy whose only previous loss as a pro was against James Tony. On the other, it was a win against the guy who had suffered that loss at middleweight and then spent 13 years in jail. So what did we learn about Franklin, if anything? And Eric, how do you view that outing against Rydell Booker? Is it glass half empty or glass half full? You know, we, we always ask each other these tough questions where, where the first instinct is to say, Right in the middle, 50-50. But that's not really how sharing opinions on a podcast is supposed to work. So if I have to lean one way or the other, I'm actually going to lean half empty in Mm. the sense that I went into the Booker fight hoping Franklin could live up to his own claims that he's the next big thing in American heavyweight boxing. And he didn't show me anything to support that. He won. He won convincingly. So he's worth another look. But my recollection of that fight is that He wasn't slickly outboxing Booker, and he wasn't outbanging and hurting Booker. 
he just won because Booker was old and kind of out of shape and Franklin was young and in better shape and outworked him uh, after the first couple of rounds. Franklin's still only 25 uh, and he has some tools. I think he certainly merits a second chance to impress. I wasn't terribly impressed in his Showtime debut, but he didn't disqualify himself. I'm not writing him off. This makes sense to bring him back on Showbox. Let's see what he can do against a different opponent, a different style. Hopefully he'll do something more spectacular this time. In my mind, at least, there's a little more pressure on him Mm. to do just that. Mm -hmm. So we've seen Jermaine Franklin once. He's something of a known quantity. His opponent, Jerry Slugger Forrest, probably isn't to most people. What can you tell us about him, Kieran? Well, the first thing that leaps out with him is that right now he has to be one of the most active fighters in boxing. He fought four times in 2017, which is decent. Three times in 2018, which is standard. Um, but his matchup with Franklin will already be his fifth fight of 2019. Wow. Um, and it actually isn't as if uh, his previous four were all blowouts. Uh, he opened up the year with a third round KO win on January 26th and then followed that up a couple of weeks later with a first round stoppage. Um, then in March and again in April, he won back to back eight round decisions. So by Friday, he'll have been out of the ring for a barely fathomable 10 whole weeks. Um, we've seen a fair few career late starters, if you will, on Showbox this year. There are a couple more on Friday's edition, uh, including Forrest, uh, who at the age of 31 is just a six-year pro. Uh, He first gloved up at 18, uh, had an amateur career that yielded a record of, as he puts it, about 32 and 5. There's a little bit of boxing in the family. As he says, his grandfather once sparred a young George Foreman. Hmm. Um, He's a southpaw. Uh, he has a record of 25 and two with 19 KOs, and he's on an 18-fight win streak after suffering back-to-back losses in 2013 and 2014. Here's the thing: he's fought almost exclusively on the East Coast, and particularly in Virginia and Maryland. Um, he uh, lives in Newport News, Virginia. Uh, the only two times he fought away from the East Coast, he lost, which doesn't augur well for a fight in Tacoma, Washington. What also doesn't augur well is that those two losses came on the only occasions he somewhat stepped up in opposition. He was flattened in two rounds by Gerald Washington and then outpointed over four by Michael Hunter. Uh, And the rest of his opposition is entirely nondescript. Um, There's a decent bit of video available of him, and he's not actually awful by any stretch of the imagination. He's generally in pretty decent shape. He's got a nice fast left hand behind a southpaw jab. But he squares up a lot, uh, and he has a tendency for his hands to drop as the fight goes on. and, And you have to figure... That may well prove suboptimal on Friday night. Um, the co-main is also a heavyweight fight. And it's also featuring a boxer who appeared on that Shields Hammer undercard. Yeah, but we got to see a lot less of Otto Wallen than we did of Franklin. Uh, Wallen's bout with Nick Kisner was stopped after one round and declared a no contest when Kisner was unable to continue after an accidental clash of huds, heads. <laughs> I don't know what a clash of heads would be. Clash of heads <laughs> opened a cut over his right eye. So there's not really anything to add to the scouting report from before that fight. Avalin from Sweden is 20 and 0 with 13 KOs and, of course, now won no contest. Uh, he's a southpaw and he, he fights in that prototypical European style, you know, straight up high guard. Um, he's got a really solid straight left hand that sometimes seems to flash out of nowhere and, and is a very effective KO punch at times. So he's up against BJ Flores. Now, in theory, BJ is a step up in opposition. And certainly that's what Valen has said. Valen has said BJ is a big step up in opposition for him. But BJ's 40 years old. Uh, He was knocked down six times en route to a fourth round stoppage last time out. And in 2016, was splattered by Tony Bellew. Uh, And most of his career, he has spent below heavyweight. Does BJ have the experience to make life difficult for Valen? Or is this too many pounds and too many fights for him? So full disclosure, I know BJ Flores. I've worked with BJ Flores, probably about a half dozen PBC on NBC shows. We work together. I got to know him a bit and I like BJ. And so I hesitate to be too critical of him as a fighter here. He was a good cruiserweight in his prime, but he's never really achieved much as a heavyweight. And as you noted, he's now 40. It's a troubling combination. He has an experience advantage over Valin, certainly. And I'd imagine the southpaw stance won't bother BJ too much. He's been in enough fights with enough Mm. different guys, enough different styles. But I just don't see it ending well 
with him at this point in his career, taking on a big, strong, undefeated 28-year-old heavyweight. Um, Two of BJ's last four fights were one-sided knockout defeats. This looks on paper like another one of those. And I'll just sort of hope my buddy BJ isn't listening to this podcast. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, I have to be honest with our audience. and, And my honest assessment is that this doesn't have the makings of a good night for BJ Flores. Mm. Um, The opener is super featherweight action between two undefeated fighters making their showbox debuts. The nominal A-side is Giovanni Cabrera Mioletti from Chicago against Ecuador's Luis Porozo. What should we know about these two, Karen? So Mioletti is another guy who, who, like Forrest, started a little late. Uh, and who also, like Forrest, is making up for lost time. Uh, he's 24. He's a three-year pro. He fought four times in 2016, five apiece in 2017 and 18, and this will be his third fight of 2019. Uh, he enters with a record of 16 and over seven KOs. And to make both of us feel old, brace yourself for this, he says he was inspired to take up boxing at the age of 16 when in high school he watched Manny Pacquiao Miguel Cotto on TV. <laughs> Yep, yep, I feel old. How does that feel, old man? Great, huh? <laughs> Damn. Um, he, uh, he calls himself a student of the game. Uh, he says he watches tapes of a lot of greats and, and tries not to, you know, ape any particular style. You know, he says he watches Jake LaMotta as well as Willie Pep. So, like, when he says he likes to look at old school fighters, he means it. He means not just Mikel Cotto and Manny Pacquiao. <laughs> um, I watched a bit of tape of him. And he looks like he's one of these guys who's a little cocky in the ring. He, he might be one of those kids you either love or hate. He darts in and out behind a southpaw stance, a lot of fast footwork, throws fast hands. You know, he sort of moves in, throws a couple combos, moves out, resets, um, fights a lot with his hands down from what I've seen. Although from, uh, from what he said, it sounds like he's trying to – like he enjoyed being unorthodox at first. He, he enjoyed uh, modeling himself a little bit on those guys who did stuff wrong and got away with it. And he's obviously learned that that's not necessarily a very good strategy. And he says he's trying to tighten up some of those aspects of his game. Um, you know, and, and that's a good idea. Cause if you're going to fight like that, if you're going to be cocky, you've always got the danger that one day you're going to be sliding out of range and some badass from Latin America is going to crack you. <laughs> um, is that badass going to be Luis Peroso? Uh, well, does seem like he's a bit of a badass, and he certainly has bags of experience. Um, although he's only 14-0 with seven KOs as a pro, he was on the Ecuadorian national team for 10 years as an amateur, represented his country at the 2008 Olympics. He says he had around 500 amateur fights. Um, as he says, quote, too many to remember wins and losses. Uh, he considers himself primarily a boxer. Uh, but one who can also brawl if need be. He likes to throw to the body, which you figure could be pretty useful against a, a mover like Mialetti. But he also seems to like to pick his spots a little and, and bide his time. Or you kind of wonder if you're up against a hummingbird type opponent, you just want to just keep throwing a little bit and being a bit of a pressure fighter. But it sounds like that could be a very interesting clash of styles uh, and something to look forward to there. Yeah, it sounds on paper like your classic showbox opener right there. Yeah, I think so. I think so very much, you know, and someone's O must go unless it's a draw or a contest. <laughs> right. Um, all right. It's time to make our pick. And as always with Showbox, we're going to pick the main event only. Uh, a reminder that you don't have to follow any such restriction if you play to win prizes with the Showtime Boxing Pick'em Game. Uh, just go to DraftKings.com Showtime. For all three bouts, you pick a winner and a method of victory. And if you're picking a knockout, you specify a range of rounds in which that knockout is going to occur. If you're on the table, you win your share of $5,000 and a Showtime swag bag. Uh, And there's also uh, a season-long grand prize of a trip to every 2020 Showtime Championship boxing event. Again, go to DraftKings.com slash Showtime to play. Uh, I have to say, Kieran, as you uh, go through sort of the DraftKings somewhat promotional thing there, your voice at times uh, turns a little bit Jay Peterman. I don't know if you're aware that you do that. It's like a slightly uh, accented version of Jay Peterman. When you when you listen back, listen for that. Yeah, I was trying to think of a good catalog copy to, to come back with, you know, DraftKings. <laughs> Shiny in the sun, yet warm and in the rain. The urban sombrero of fight picks. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, back to our own picks. Yes. Eric. Uh, you... <laughs> You lead, uh, you lead 50 to 45, I believe, at this stage, at the halfway point. Uh, so I have you just where I want you. Uh, Keep saying that. 
Yeah, that's right. Well, I, I believe it. I believe it. Uh, and I also believe it's my turn to pick first uh, for the main event on Friday between Jermaine Franklin and Jerry Forrest. Uh, so after watching a bit of Forrest, like I said, he certainly does have some skill. Uh, but he is, and I don't actually mean this disparagingly, a club fighter. I mean, that, that's just a matter of fact. That's basically the kind of venues in which he has done most of his fighting. Again, yeah, um, he looks good against opponents who, who generally aren't of an especially high level. Uh, he has stepped up just twice out of his comfort zone in terms of both location and opposition. And he's lost both times. Uh, perfectly serviceable guy. Kind of boxer who can build and I think maybe has built a, a decent local following. He's done really well for himself, given how late he started, but he isn't world-class, and he's not even, I think, a level below world-class. Um, the question, as we were discussing earlier, is whether Franklin is or has the potential to be world-class, and I just don't know. I, I, you know, I agree with you. He has some skills. He has some pop. Is he as good as he thinks he is? As you mentioned, he considers himself you know, the best heavyweight prospect in the country. I, I don't know. Uh, based on what we've seen, it's hard to judge. I'm not sure we'll learn one way or the other on Friday unless he struggles. Um, right. You know, so Forrest's biggest problems, like I said, his tendency to square up when he throws and the habit of dropping his hands as rounds elapse. And neither of those will stand in my suspect in good stead against the guy who, at least on paper, even if he isn't quite as good as he's been hyped to be, should be on a different level, I think. Um, for me, I think the question should be whether Franklin is able to end this early or whether Forrest takes him uh, a few rounds. Uh, if it goes the distance, even if Franklin wins a wide decision, um, then unless Forrest shows us something I'm not expecting, which is entirely possible, um, I would have to think that would be a, a setback for Franklin. Um, it would be strike two. Uh, you know, if he's going to get anywhere near the kind of rarefied atmosphere to which he aspires, he needs to deal with guys like this. Uh, in a sense, I think on Friday, he's not, He's up against not just Forrest, but also Gerald Washington and Michael Hunter, right? He needs to prove that he's able to dispatch this kind of guy the way that they did. Um, and as unsure as I am about where Franklin sits right now, or what his ceiling might be, I'm going to continue to assume that in there, there is a legitimate prospect. And if he is a legitimate prospect, he really should be able to get Forrest out of there. It might take him a few rounds, but I think at some point Forrest is going to walk into something and I'm going to guess that happens in round five. So it's a usually long-winded way of saying Jermaine, Jermaine Franklin in the fifth round. Okay, so be- due to my uh, my travels over the past week, I did not watch as much Forrest's uh, video as it sounds like you did. I saw little, a quick, couple little quick clips just to get a sense of him and didn't study as much. So I may be uh, making a mistake here by not just following the Kieran game plan of, uh, of also <laughs> picking Franklin KO5 to make sure to maintain my lead. But my sense watching him was that he's a, he's a really sturdy southpaw and that if Franklin does, as you've just predicted, and, and stops him, that will be a solid statement. Um, you know, I, I mean, I think Franklin has clear talent and skill edges here, but actually getting the knockout from what I saw, I'm not so sure uh, that it'll be so easy for him to pull off. I hate to say it, but I see this going a lot like the Booker fight did. Mm. Um, you know, Forrest might win a round or two. His best chances come early as Franklin is getting comfortable with his southpaw style. But then after a couple of rounds, the talent rises. I'm going to create a little opportunity for you to gain some ground by saying that it goes the distance. I like Franklin by like a 98-92 or 99-91 kind of unanimous decision. Um, And and all of the listeners are are welcome to uh, steal my pick or your pick. Use them on DraftKings. Make themselves some cash. These are our gifts to them. Well, or if they want to do well, just pick something entirely different. (laughs) Right. We both just picked uh, Franklin, so obviously Forrest is going to win this fight. Exactly. Exactly. Um, In addition to the Showbox card, there are a few other fights of note this coming weekend. On Friday from Tokyo on ESPN+, Ryoto Murata looks for revenge as he attempts to wrest back a middleweight strap from Rob Brandt. Now, it's not the middleweight title, just one of about eight different quote-unquote world title belts floating around in the division. This one gets a regular designation in front of it. Nothing makes you feel more like a champion than telling everyone <laughs> you're the regular champion, and then you let them guess whether that means there's also a super champion or if it just means you eat a lot of fiber. Right. 
rim shot. Um, so we have Brand Murata 2. Uh, the same day, there's a card in Saudi Arabia that we've already discussed quite enough. Uh, Amir Khan, yeah. Jeddah, blech, that one. Um, the following day, Featherweight Shakur Stevenson returns against Alberto Guevara, a replacement opponent for a replacement opponent in a 10-rounder from picturesque Newark, New Jersey. Uh, That's on ESPN. Uh, Also on July 13th, ESPN Plus has heavyweight action from across the pond, featuring two up-and-coming Brits. Daniel Dubois takes on Nathan Gorman for the British title while in the co-main, but it probably feels more like the main event to Mm. American audiences, uh, Joe Joyce faces Bryant Jennings. Meanwhile, on DAZN, we have Ray Vargas defending a junior featherweight belt against Tomoki Kameda and Diego De La Hoya taking on Ronnie Rios. There's no clear main event of the weekend, but that's plenty in terms of quantity. Uh, So, Kieran, what, if anything, stands out to you among that collection of professional prize fights? Yeah, quite a bit of interest there. Um, I'm certainly not alone, I suspect, in that I absolutely did not expect Rob Brandt to ex- to upset Murata when they first met. And yet he defeated him quite convincingly. Um, you know, so much so that you wonder if this is one of those cases where he's just all wrong for, for the, the tall Japanese boxer. But, you know, home advantage uh, for Murata second time around. Uh, who knows? I'm certainly very interested in that one. Uh, I've been interested in, in Murata for, for a while and curious to see if he can get his revenge and go on to do some of the things that uh, some of his early supporters felt he would do. Uh, and I'm more than a little intrigued by that British heavyweight doubleheader. Um, theoretically, Dubois and Joyce are on a collision course, but Dubois, as far as I can tell, is in reasonably tough against the Ricky Hatton-trained Gorman. And as for Joyce, um, yeah, well, he's another guy taking a wait-and-see attitude on. Hate his footwork, not sold on his defense, but my word, you know, we've we've seen it uh, ourselves, that high-octane offense mm-hmm. um, sure is something unique among heavyweights. And look, if he can get past Bryant Jennings... Uh, that's a huge gap at this stage of his career. Um, you know, Jennings was getting himself back together after his back-to-back losses to Vladimir Klitschko and Luis Ortiz until he lost to Oscar Rivas recently. Um, and we'll see how good Rivas is when he goes against Dillian White, uh, I think the following week. Um, either way, a good win for Joyce against uh, an experienced guy like Jennings, who's been in with the very best. That would be a very, very big statement. Yeah, that, that's the fight that stands out most to me. I mean, there's a lot of solid ones there. The the Saturday DAZN card is pretty decent. Delahoya versus Rios is an interesting test. Uh, Brant Murata, too, certainly intriguing. But I think if I could only watch one of these fights, it's yeah. probably Joyce Jennings. I know exactly what Jennings is, yep. and... I'm moderately invested at this point in seeing if Joyce pans out. This is a fight that tells me a fair amount about him. And, uh, and you know, like everyone, I'm, I'm all in on the heavyweight division these days. Um, but this is, this is really a classic pick-and-choose boxing weekend. There's a lot on, a uh, lot of good, solid stuff. None of those fights are A-level, absolute must-watch kind of stuff. We should all feel comfortable making plans and having a social life and, uh, you know, watching a little boxing as time permits. I don't really like to have a social life. (laughs) In theory, if one wanted Ah, to have a social Ah, life, this would be an opportunity to be a boxing fan and have a social life simultaneously. Okay, good caveat. All right. Well, we've made it through 36 episodes and six months of the Showtime Boxing Podcast. So we thought it incumbent to celebrate that milestone by resurrecting in somewhat altered form a staple of our old HBO podcast, The Halfies, among the most prestigious of boxing podcast awards to be handed out by Eric and myself halfway through the year. Um, When we did this with HBO, though, we focused only on that network's fight. Whereas this time around, we're looking at the whole world of boxing, and that didn't take us long to decide that that was a job that was far too big and important for the two of us. Uh, And so we've brought in a ringer, uh, who is not in fact from The Ringer, but was formerly an editor at another Bill Simmons project, the much-missed Grantland, spent what must have been an inordinate amount of time cranking out the Respect Box newsletter, and is now part of the new boxing beat at The Athletic. Yes, he is without doubt the best and the brightest of all those on the boxing slash Filipino basketball slash New York bar memoir beat, our friend, Rafe Bartholomew. Wow. How about that? Karen, thank you. It sounds like a this is your life type segment. And (laughs) it is great to be here with you on the Showtime Championship Boxing Podcast as a real actual member of the boxing media for once. (laughs) Yes. It's a new twist for you. 
<laughs> I, I don't know if the shoe quite fits yet, but I'm going to do my best to, to wear it in. <laughs> and, and Kieran uh, neglected to mention uh, also that you're one of our two favorite hosts of the State of Combat boxing right. podcast. So uh, shout out to the SOC. If you if you only have time for one boxing podcast a week, obviously make it the Showtime Boxing Podcast. But if you have time for two, the State of Combat pod with Brian Campbell and Rafe is, is a must listen. So uh, we figured we'd get your input on a few half-year awards, but before we do, let's take a quick look at the view from 20,000 feet. As Kieran's uh, setup just now reminded us, uh, these last six months have been the first of the new boxing landscape. Uh, no more HBO, uh, no more HBO podcast. We move over to Showtime, and Showtime is the only one of the premium cable players still active. Uh, a lot of boxing on streaming platforms like DAZN and ESPN+, Plus, regular ESPN also showing fights, although not with nearly the regularity of the old Friday night fights, and Fox really getting into the game with live broadcast, studio shows, and pay-per-views. Uh, and then, of course, we have the likes of The Athletic getting into boxing, covering the sport, giving you a platform to do some of what you do used to do at Grantland uh, and what The Ringer isn't really doing at all. Uh, in terms of TV and streaming, there's no doubt there's more boxing available for everyone, at least in the U.S. Is it better, though? Uh, I, I ask you, Rafe, how would you say it's all working out for fighters and for fans? Well, Eric, for fighters, it seems like a very good thing. There's so much money being poured into the sport. The purses, the deals are getting you know, inflated in a way that we like to see fighters get paid. We like to see fighters hang on to their money. You look at uh, on the high end, say Gennady Golovkin's deal with zone at a reported nine figures over six fights. Uh, that probably wouldn't be happening without the zone's perhaps now fading hope of, of matching him for a third time with uh, Canelo Alvarez. And, and that's, of course, the high end of the lower end. You see guys also through DAZN. Uh, Tevin Farmer's making a ton of money and being very busy fighting as much as he can for as many of those paydays as they're out there for him. So I like to see fighters get paid as a engaged fan and perhaps someone who really has to pay attention to everything for us in the media. It's overwhelming. You've written <laughs> about it, I know, at, at ringside seat, but it's it's really hard to keep up to watch three different cards of so so to good action almost every weekend on different platforms. It's it's a lot. I don't I guess for the casual fan, it may be good because they can just tune in, catch the great fight, or or if it's on a streaming platform, catch it after the fact. But if you're trying to be this passionate, engaged, I know everything about the sport type fan or media person, you there's so much work to do right now. Yeah, yeah the, the column that you referenced there, that that too much boxing uh, column that I wrote, I stand by it. You know, you're 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 forced to skip some stuff or fast forward through some stuff. Uh, so I prefer ideally to see a little more quality and a little less quantity. Mm. Um, and, you know, as I wrote, there's, there's some fights that just aren't meant to be seen by a broad audience. They're meant to be buried on off TV undercards. Um, but one thing about having all these networks out there that I'm encouraged, encouraged by is that the network divide isn't totally preventing all the politically challenging fights from happening. You know, not everyone is staying in their little silos. We have Wilder and Fury getting together again, despite being affiliated with Showtime and ESPN, respectively. You have a fight like Hooker Ramirez coming together. Uh, so so that's good. And, and so overall, it, it feels like most past eras in modern boxing where some fights we want are getting made, some aren't, some are marinating, it's all kind of par for the course in the end. It, it's a, a bit of a case of the more things change, the more they stay the same. You know, other other than the absence of Jim Lampley from our lives, it doesn't feel right. all that different to me in 2019. Yeah, and I'm a little bit surprised to find that it seems the person who's showing flexibility is Bob Arum, um, in mm. that he's allowing Ramirez to go fight Hooker, and we'll see how the Fury Wilder thing pans out. I, I was pretty sure that if anyone was going to build up the walls and the silos, it was going to be him um, more than anybody. Yeah, but yeah, the whole, uh, the more things change, the more they say the same thing is exactly true, isn't it? It's, it's instead of Bob Arum and Don King and HBO and Showtime, now it's Arum and Eddie Hearn and Al Heyman and Showtime and DAZN and ESPN and Fox. Um, yeah. it's, it's the same as before, but more of it. <laughs> right. 
One one note about Aram and top rank, and and we never know if this is just spin, but but they have been pretty open about this on podcasts and in interviews. Uh, both Bob Aram and his son-in-law and right-hand man in running the company, that their deal with ESPN forces them to provide a certain level of quality content that, that there's a little perhaps more pressure from the network for them to go out there and make some of those fights mm-hmm. across the lines who maybe who actually knows that that could just be a, a way of saying hey look we're doing what we're already doing aren't we great but right. uh yeah the one thing i think is kind of interesting is that it feels to me that in the past, boxing has had this um, business model that has been unique among sports and has been uniquely crippling to it. And yet now it is sort of leading the is the vanguard of this is what it's going to be for sports viewers now, isn't it? People wanted to people didn't want their their combined cable packages anymore. They wanted to pick and choose. And well, this is what you get if you want to watch all the Premier League, league games or everything on IndyCar. You're going to have to pay your special package on NBC to watch that and. Uh, in a strange way, it's boxing is just going to be a, a lot like any other sport. Uh, and whether that's for better or for worse in terms of broadcasting and consumption remains to be seen, I think. Yeah, it's the the whole uh, cable bundling versus cord cutting thing and that it all does seem headed back toward this place where even you, you cut the cord a couple of years ago to save yourself money and soon enough it's going to come back around to where it's all costing you the same as it used to. You're just getting it distributed a little differently. Yeah, yeah. So um, in addition to all of that, I mean, obviously for for those of us in the business, that's like one of the big storylines. But do you think, Rafe, that there are any other like storylines or headlines really leapt out at you over the first half of the year? Um, It feels like the risk of sounding like a broken record. For me, the big story seems as if it is still the heavyweight division. You know, there was... The excitement starting the year after the Wilder Fury fight uh, at the end of 2018. Huge disappointment when that rematch fell through and it felt as if the sport had shot itself in the foot again. Um, Big Baby not so much shooting himself in the foot as possibly blowing up his career. Um, The viral response to Wilder's knockout of Brazil. The shock factor of Andy Ruiz beating Joshua. The prospect of Wilder Fury 2 being back on again. It feels like, you know, for a while, like it was Pacquiao and Mayweather that was the the big thing that sort of swamped everything else. It feels like the heavyweight division... Is back doing that. Do you agree with that? Or is there something else you think, if anything else, that's the big sort of storyline so far? I think that your news judgment, Kieran, is spot on. Um, if there, if you were putting a, the A1 top of the fold, big, you know, 42 point uh, headline on this imaginary print publication that <laughs> soon our, our, our listeners right, will we'll no longer be able to visualize. Uh, it would be about the heavyweight division, and I think it's it, it was it's been sort of a a dramatic and wonderful turnaround in a lot of ways because, like you said, it looked like we were headed for an ugly kind of standoff once Tyson Fury signed with Top Rank, and it looked like, uh oh, we're all going to be siloed here, and these big fights aren't going to happen for a while. Andy Ruiz comes in and throws the whole thing into disarray. Fury and Wilder say, no, let's actually do this rematch. Uh, it's And that kind of unpredictability kind of leads me into sort of the uh, the, the B-side storylines of, of the year so far, which the first one isn't really something, it's not a trend, you can't predict it, but what a year it's been so far for upsets. I, you guys have mm. a better sense of history than I do, but uh, I think the... You could. It seems like there have been more big, crazy upsets in the first half of this year than maybe in, in other years. All you know, all together that I've that I could think of. I mean, start with with Andy Ruiz over Joshua. At the beginning of the year, there was that uh, Pablo over Jorge Linares, like first round knockout that came out of nowhere. Um, there's, it wasn't a huge upset in this, in the same way, but Julian Williams over Jared Hurd was a, was a great fight and, and a one that a lot of people predicted the other way. There've been a lot of results coming out in, uh, in the other direction. And that's, that's been a lot of fun. I don't, you can't really call it a trend because it's just the unpredictability of boxing. That's all. We- yeah, but no, it's, it's definitely, uh, a, an accurate thing to identify. I can't remember you're right. It would have to go back a while. I've, for some reason in my mind, I'm feeling like the year that Rockman upset Lewis 
it was sort of a people were calling it a year of the upsets that there must have been a few other big ones that year. But I couldn't tell you off the top of my head what they are. Um, but that is, that is definitely one of the interesting storylines and trends. And uh, as we go through our half year awards, uh, I suppose we'll dive a, a little deeper on that. Uh, another story that um, I think is up there. Um, and I agree with you guys that the heavyweight division uh, the revived interest in, in, in that division is story number one for sure. But uh, number two for me might be the continued emergence of a new generation of pound-for-pound entrants mm. and a really interesting conversation at the top of the pound-for-pound list. Like, remember the, the last few years of Mayweather's career, it was like, well, he's not as good as he used to be, but I guess he's still the best as long as he's active because nobody else is claiming that title. You know, Pacquiao, Andre Ward, guys like that. They weren't quite seizing the throne unless Mayweather was quote unquote retired for a spell. Um, And as soon as Andre Ward did seize the throne, he retired. Um, But now we have Lomachenko, Crawford, Canelo, Spence, Inoue, Usyk, all relatively young. They're either in their 20s or very early 30s. I think Usyk is the oldest of those guys at 32. Um, They're not superstars other than Canelo, but um, there are more of those fighters out there now than in a long time that, you know, you can tell your friend who hardly ever watches boxing, tune in, watch this guy. He might be the best fighter in the world right now. There are a bunch of guys you can can, uh, sort of give that uh, sales pitch with. Um, That's a good thing to have this many guys near the top that you can get excited about and you can have spirited debates over who you think is the best and, and just nobody's backing into the pound for pound title or, or kind of being number one by default. It feels like they've all done things in recent months to stake their claim. Yeah, yeah, it did feel like there was that period a couple of years back where, you know, you mentioned Andre and, and those guys sort of getting to the top and then retiring. And it, and it did feel like, well, you know, who's going to step up and, and step into that? And then all of a sudden, yeah, you've got a really good bunch of, of fighters who are, you know, not just good, but actually really, really very good. I, I think you've got at least the the absolute boy, these guys 100% should be at on near the top of the pound for pound list is at least eight deep, I think, seven or eight deep, certainly. And whereas before, sometimes you were struggling to find us number seven guy or a number eight guy or a number nine guy. And I don't think that's the case right now. Right. All right. So those are our big discussions. Let's get into some of the Anishie and start handing out our awards. I'll just uh, buff up this little little halfie here, ready to hand out to our first award winner. Um, uh, that, that sounded all sorts of wrong. wrong. You cannot say that on the State of, of Combat podcast, my <laughs> friends. You will I, not. I, it will. It will be Armageddon. Can Rafe? Can you please make me a promise that uh, Brian will grab that as a clip to use as a drop in future State of Combat? Uh, Kieran saying, "Let's just buff may, up this halfie." We may buff up a few halfies in the near future. Let's just say that. Yeah. Uh, I was about to go off in a, just a whole other direction, but this is showtime. This isn't this. We got to be good. All right. Um, hey, shout out to Gigolos. Good show, folks. <laughs> so, there you go. Uh, let's have a look at the best fight of the uh, first six months. I, I'm going to go with a. It's not really a hot take. It's a mildly tepid take. Um, which is that uh, we've had a lot of great boxing, but I'm not sure we've had a clear standout clubhouse leader and fight of the year stakes or fight of the half year stakes i think we've had some very good ones but i don't know we've had any classics um but i was thinking maybe i've missed some so off the top of my head i was thinking of you know we've amazingly for the second year in a row we've had eris landy lara in a pretty good fight um fighting to a draw against brian castaño uh jarrett hurd who edged lara for fight of the year last year came up short you mentioned this already against julian williams josh taylor Ivan baronchek that was pretty good there was, of course, Ruiz and AJ. Katie Taylor's squeaker of a win against Delphine Persson was kind of fun. Sergey Lipponitz retired Lamont Peterson in an absolutely brutal battle. Um, I'd forgotten until we were thinking about this, about the really fun fight between Danny Roman and TJ Doheny. Uh, and then there was one that I missed entirely when it happened between uh, Robert Talarek and Patrick Szymanski, which saw 10 knockdowns in five rounds before Talarek won by knockout. Uh, those are the ones that I could think of as sort of the standout ones so far. Anything I'm missing? Oh, Kieran, your point just gets is reinforcing itself in my head as you go through the list because we talked about this before. I tried to come up with others and didn't. And then now listening to you, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, what about fights like Rigondo and, or Rigondio and Julio Ceja for, or, or the yeah. other oh, fight I. from that weekend that had a terrible stoppage, which was Angela Costa and I've, what's his name? Soto. Um, right. That I, Those were really good fights. Uh, 
but none of them really separate themselves or really, really stand out on that level. They're just all good. Yeah. Yeah. So is there one that you're leaning toward right now, Ray, for, uh, or you're uh, refusing to make a pick at this no, moment? Oh, no, no, I'm happy to make a pick. The, the, so the responsible editor in me will say, <laughs> you got to go with Ruiz over Joshua. Yeah. That is the headline. That su- it was such an amazing event. Um, it was, it, it, you can't really stand anything up to that in terms of excitement and magnitude and what it means for the sport. I was inviting you guys to correct that take, correct that with the right hipster answer, <laughs> w- which is which of these fights were w- just better in terms of a clear platonic ideal style. This was a better boxing match than Ruiz over Joshua. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I so I think there's a good case, obviously, for Ruiz Joshua for the reasons you state. And, you know, like the round of the half year, which is an award we're not doing today. Right. I'd certainly give that to round three of Ruiz Joshua. But uh, the the fight of the year of the half year uh, is a more wide open kind of thing. And uh, I don't know if this even qualifies as a hipster take uh, as because it's um, very much based on the drama of the fight and not just the pure action. But I think I'd give it to uh, Williams versus Hurd. Just an an outstanding overall fight uh, with the drama of the underdog pulling it off. Um, But, you know, I I would say looking at things, you know, here in the beginning of July, it's probably an underdog to hold up as fight of the year. Any of these, whatever you're picking right now, if any of them end up named fight of the year, it, probably tells us there wasn't one singular all-out classic at any point in 2019 yeah yeah no i agree i think in terms of you know overall sustained skill level it it, it was williams hurt although actually roman i i looked that at it fight, again yes. roman Dohany was pretty darn good um yeah. but yeah and just uh you know two years from now what are we most likely to say boy did we did you ever see fill in the gap of that fight, it's going to be Ruiz Joshua. And that's not necessarily the criterion for picking a, a fight of the year or let alone fight of the half year. But but I, I, I do agree, I think, with Rafe that just the magnitude of it and the, the ebbs and the flows and, uh, and the punctuated you know, moments of excitement. I, for now, I probably lean toward that. Yeah, I mean, the sort of the looking back, what would we say X years from now is it it, it makes me think of in uh, this is going to really date myself. But uh, in 1996, when there was a debate between do you give it to the first Holyfield Tyson fight, which was major mainstream news or Gaddy Rodriguez, which Mm. was actually the best fight. And, you know, people were kind of split at the time. And I'm not sure what, what history looks back on and says was was a good choice or a bad choice. But certainly in the moment, Ruiz Joshua is the most significant outstanding fight of the first half of the year. Uh, hopefully something will happen in the second half that makes this easier yeah. for us. <laughs> um, our next category, we have a whole lot of contenders to choose from. It's knockout of the half year. Um as you mentioned to us, Rafe, when, you know, when we asked you to come on the podcast, it almost feels like there's been a year's worth of contenders already in some of these categories. This is one of them. A quick rundown of some contenders. Uh, good to see Nonito. Um, how do you say his last name, Rafe, as long as we got you no, here? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Nonito, the Filipino Flash Donaire. Okay, so good to see uh, Nonito Donare back in this category with his sixth-round left hook of Stefan Young that got Ray Flores screaming as if he just witnessed Marquez Pacquiao 4. Uh, there was Andrew Tabidi leaning right into a right hand from Uniel Dorticos in the 10th round and landing on his face. Uh, Devin Haney's looping right to the chin on Antonio Moran in round 7 was spectacular. Vasily Lomachenko had a good one with his right hook knockout of Anthony Krola in the 4th. Two that were vicious, but I might rate a tad lower because I thought the fights maybe should have been stopped already and it shouldn't have come to this, uh, are Jermal Charlo, KO3, Jorge Cotto with a 1-2, and Teofimo Lopez, KO7, Diego Magdaleno with two left hooks, then celebrating right over top of him. I can't quite re- reward that one with knockout right. of the half year. So my pick, I'll reveal uh, my pick before I pass it to uh, to you guys. I'm going to be a homer here, uh, but also, I also think this was right up the there with any of them is uh, Deontay Wilder, KO1, Dominic Brazil. The sound of that at ringside was something else. Now, it's hurt a bit by the fact that Brazil more or less got up, um, but still, a ridiculous punch. 
I was there live. That uh, that influences my opinion. Kieran and I made it into the replays. Uh, Dan Rayfield was futzing with his phone. Uh, Ray Flores, his brother, showed us his O face. It was epic. Uh, so uh, that's my pick. That's because uh, he was buffing up his halfie. <laughs> probably. Probably was. <laughs> uh, Rafe, uh, you, you go first. What, what do you say is the knockout of the half year? Well, not just, it, although maybe Wilder over Brazil is is slowed down a bit by the fact that Brazil got up, I feel like that's it's made up for by the way that Brazil went down with the arms mm-hmm. just flopping behind him and, and then sort of spread out. It was such a dramatic knockdown, and that's going to uh, obvious uh, front runner. My favorite, though, the one that just is nasty to me, and there's a lot. I mean, these are all, these are all very nasty, but... Uh, Dorticos over Tabiti, yeah. that 11th round straight right on the point of the chin. That was just, just breathtaking. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm the same as Eric. I'm, I'm definitely have that being influenced by being there for it. But for me, it is, it is Wilder Brazil. Uh, and I also noted, I noted at the time, uh, just the sound of it. That might've been the loudest single punch I've heard ringside with a possible exception of when Manny Pacquiao splattered Ricky Hatton. Um, mm. and there's something also about the way. The way Deontay throws those punches, right? And like every single one is a huge, lengthy, almost looping punch that's just destined to explode on the guy's chin. The guy Wilder goes in there looking to knock guys out uh, with just about every punch, and you know, and it it went viral. It, it had yeah, just the whole effect of it. Um, so for me, that is it. And I actually did note uh, Dortico's Tabidi as as the number two, possibly because apart from the fact it was nasty. When you look at those list of KOs, perhaps those two were theoretically the most evenly matched going into that. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas in all the others, the fairly big favorite uh, uh, scored the KO. So, you know, Dortikas probably gets extra points for that, I think. Yeah. All right. Uh, the next category has a fair few possibilities, most of which Rafe has already gone through. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the upset of the half year. Uh, let's go through them again. I-, I think even though, as you said, Rafe, that there's been a whole lot of them. And there have certainly been some that in any other sort of six months or any other year would be clear winners. I think they're all, I think we can all agree probably that they're all blown out of the water by one in particular. But um, the ones that I thought of, most of them you've mentioned, I can't remember if you mentioned Andrew Cancio over Alberto Machado, which felt like an upset the first time. Um, but after he won even more easily the second time round, sort of feels like less of an upset and more one guy just having the measure of another. Yeah, Williams over a herd. For me, the big shock with Pablo Cesar Cano was that I didn't even know Pablo Cesar Cano was still fighting, let alone that we would have a chance of knocking out Jorge Linares in the first round. Um, but it kind of has to be Ruiz over AJ, right? Is there even really a discussion here? I, I don't think there is any discussion, guys. And and rather than make up an argument for one of these other fights, I kind of want to spin it forward. Do you see of any fight that is sort of been reported to be made or is likely to be made that you think could be made by the end of the year. Could something eclipse that? The only one I can think of might, would be Donaire not beat it, beating yeah. Inoue. That's mm, the yeah. only upset yeah. that I could think of maybe being on that level. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was I was thinking about that. I hadn't really thought through what it could be, but I just sort of ha- had noted that Ruiz over Joshua was such a monumental upset and um not just in terms of the pure odds but but the magnitude of of what was at stake and all that that i I almost can't imagine what big star could face a lightly regarded enough opponent in the second half of the year and lose uh to to have it overtake ruiz joshua i guess if either canelo or triple g ends up facing someone even lower on the the scale than the lowest names that we're hearing um, and loses. Maybe, maybe one of those guys getting bumped off could do it. I think you're right that uh, Donaire beating Inoue could maybe do it, but even, even that, I'm not sure it would. I'm just because again, the magnitude, Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. Donaire upsetting Inoue kind of happens under the radar of the mainstream. It's only something that us hardcores would be paying attention to. Whereas everybody uh, whether they watch any boxing ever or not, found out that oh, this tubby guy knocked out this uh, <laughs> this this ripped British undefeated uh, six foot seven inch champion. So um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I can't think of any fights that I know of that are that are scheduled that uh, really have the potential to to bump Ruiz Joshua from the top spot. Uh, 
Um, all right, our final category. Um, we're not actually going to do fighter of the half year because it's mostly just debating between a bunch of guys who've only fought once, uh, with the exception of uh, Andrew Cancio, who you mentioned, Kieran. He's he's the only fighter with two impressive, really meaningful wins so far in 2019. A more interesting way to approach this, we think, is to consider what's happened in the first half of the year, project what might happen in the second half, and handicap the race for overall fighter of the year. And so we'll each make a pick for who we think is most likely to win the award when the year is over. And I'll I'll give a bunch of names to consider. Um, Cancio, if he can score one more big win, and if some of the other contenders don't get a spectacular result in the second half, he's positioned to be a possible default option. Um, Andy Ruiz is obviously a top contender if he beats Joshua again. Uh, And let's not forget that it'll be his third fight of the year because he beat Dimitrenko. Mm. So so that helps. Um, I don't think Keith Thurman is a strong contender if he beats Pacquiao since... Thurman's win over Josecito Lopez was rocky, and people will just say Manny was old if Keith beats him. But I do think Pacquiao is a serious contender if he follows up a shutout of Broner with a win over Thurman. Plus, he'd probably have time to fight again in November or December. And in his 40s, you know, he becomes a great sentimental choice. A lot depends on who Canelo Alvarez fights in September. Mm -hmm. But if he scores a second win over an elite fighter to go along with beating Danny Jacobs, he has a great case. If he fights Kovalev and Kovalev beats him, maybe Kovalev. If he fights Triple mm-hmm. G and Triple G wins, maybe Triple G. Um, I think Inoue's in the mix uh, when, not if, but when he wins this World <laughs> Boxing Super Series tournament. Sorry, uh, Nonito Donaire. Uh, and also Errol Spence. He, he beat Mikey Garcia handily. If he does likewise against Sean Porter, he's a candidate. So I may have left out some names. You guys can tell me if I did. Um, but because I am predicting that Andrew Ruiz will beat Anthony Joshua again, and because we don't know who Canelo is fighting in September yet, I think Ruiz is the safest bet. So he's my pick. Uh, Rafe, where's your mind going on this one? Unfortunately, it is going to uh, buffing the half chub for (laughs) (laughs) none other than Andy Ruiz. Uh, He's he's a a full chub, I think. It's this is a a brilliant double entendre that we've just doubled into (laughs) all of the different chubs we can get into. Um, Yeah, look, you you laid it out. Um, If he if he beats Anthony Joshua twice, just the magnitude of that is impossible to argue with. It, It doesn't matter what anyone else accomplishes if Ruiz pulls that off and has that kind of 2019 out of nowhere. I think my personal favorite, my who actually had the, the, the answer to, well, you know, the comic book store Simpsons guy, well, actually the best and the best fighter of the year. <laughs> the answer to that would be one of the winners of the World Boxing Super yeah. Series. So either, you know, Uwe, who you're just just scandalously penciling in over <laughs> a very game veteran, Nonito Donaire, a Hall of Famer. From, I mean, come on. Uh, or I think who, the, the winner of Josh Taylor, Regis Progre. That's a that's that's a huge yeah. accomplishment and a great fight later this year. And both mm-hmm. of them would have either of them would have a nice claim to that. Yeah, it actually really shocked me when I was sitting down thinking about this, that realizing that two weeks from now, the clubhouse leader could be 62 year old Manny Pacquiao. Um, I mean, if he if he does beat Keith Thurman after whitewashing Adrian Broner, if if a 30 year old welterweight contender did that, we think he was having a fight, a fighter of the year kind of year. And, And if Manny does that. Um, you know, and as you mentioned, with the prospect of him maybe squeezing in another fight at the end of the year, he, he'd absolutely be, be in consideration. I, I love Nonito, and I have spent many times on this podcast just really hoping that something happens to him before he gets into the ring with Noya and Noe, <laughs> because, yeah, the monster is just – I'm – quite confident he's going to do a number on him. And, and and it's not just the fact that he's putting together these wins in a way, it's the way he's doing it. And for yeah. me, he's absolutely in contention. But I have the exact same logic as Eric in that I believe that Andy Ruiz is going to fight Anthony Joshua again. I believe that Andy Ruiz is going to knock out Anthony Joshua again. And you just can't give it to anybody else, I think, if that were to happen. And so right now you have to handicap. I would say, you know, Pacquiao in, in no way would be the most likely to sort of also be there in the frame. But uh, if things unfold the way we suspect they will, then, yeah, it's got to be Andy Ruiz, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it's unanimous. Uh, three chubs up for Andy Ruiz. <laughs> what? What a what a sw- almost a sweep for Andy Ruiz, isn't it? It is, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. 
Who'd have thunk? Just about all the categories. Uh, Yep. But um, all right. Well, uh, the the podcast is not over. The show is not over, but but it is for Rafe. Uh, Time to return to your corner and ask someone to pour some water on your balls. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us, Rafe. Uh, And a reminder to our listeners, uh, follow Rafe on Twitter at Rafe Boogs. Read him several times a week on The Athletic and listen to him on the State of Combat podcast with Brian Campbell. Rafe, uh, thank you, sir. Uh, Great to have you on the show. Eric, Kieran, it was an honor. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Rafe. All right, we wrap up the show with the old news segment. And there's not too much news to report coming off the July 4th weekend. We'll start with a little news direct from the home office. Showtime made official the two televised undercard bouts supporting Gervonta Davis's July 27th Baltimore homecoming against Ricardo Nunez. In the co-main, Yuriorkis Gamboa returns against Roman Rocky Martinez in lightweight action. And the card opens with another lightweight contest as Jezreel Corrales takes on Ladarius Miller. Kieran, obviously, we'll talk about this whole card in more depth in a couple of weeks. But what are your preliminary thoughts on these two bouts? Uh, I, I like them. I, I mean, I guess the opener is, is theoretically more intriguing on one level in that it's a contest between two guys who theoretically have a lot more career still ahead of them um, than the ones in the co-main. Uh, you know, it wasn't that long ago that Corrales had the world at his feet after beating Takashi Uchiyama, but I wasn't super impressed with either of his outings for which I was ringside, not his late technical decision win against Robinson Castellanos or his last to Alberto Machado. He got sloppy, fell in love with his with his flash and his big punches a little bit there. And uh, he is probably going to want to rein that in against a solid boxer like Miller, who, you know, who, among other things, owns a win over Jamel Herring. And uh, the other one, the co-main, well, that's a different kind of intrigue, doesn't it? Um, I don't know if Rocky Martinez has anything left. Uh, he, he actually retired for a while, I think right after being beaten by Vasily Lomachenko and then has just come back. And I think just had the one comeback fight. I might be wrong. Um, and I don't know about Gamboa. Um, you know, until 2017, his only loss had come from stepping way up in weight against Terence Crawford. Um, then he had that shock loss to Castellanos. And since mm-hmm. then, he's had three... Not entirely convincing wins. Yeah, you know, he's gone to like a majority decision win a couple of times, and against a guy like Jason Sosa, like who you once upon a time would have thought Gamboa would handle quite easily, and his power appears somewhat less imposing at lightweight. But that so that's intriguing on a whole different level, I, I think. But uh, it's, I think it's a fun card, top to mm-hmm. bottom. So I'm certainly looking forward to it. Um, meanwhile, uh, also sort of on the news section, uh, the rumor mill continues to churn uh, we talked about the touched on this a little bit uh, earlier with rafe um the uh, the next canelo alvarez opponent um sergey kovalev it seems is no longer in pole position uh, according to main events golden boy's initial offer was far too low uh the smart money now appears to be on kovalev defending against anthony yardy in august and then possibly fighting alvarez later um golden boy have insisted Canelo's going to be fighting in vegas on mexican independence weekend um and the three names that have been thrown out most recently are Demetrius Andrade, Callum Smith, and new entrant Jaime Monjia. Uh, and one name who doesn't appear to be in the mix at all is Gennady Golovkin. Um, so that speculation was, seems it's going to go on for a little while longer until Golden Boy makes an announcement. Uh, Tyson Fury, on the other hand, appears to have provided some solid information regarding his mooted rematch with Deontay Wilder, uh, as we talked about earlier. Recently saying in the UK that assuming all goes well with interim fights for both men, uh, that rematch will take place on February 22nd, he says. Eric, your thoughts, please, sir. Uh, So I'll I'll hit the the Fury-Wilder rematch first. Um, That's cool. Glad both sides are now fully confirming what the Wilder side has been saying for a while and, and glad they have a date. And I like the symbolism of the date, 2-22 for part two of this rivalry. Oh, uh, look at you. you. Build the fight Mr. Poster. Marketing Man. That's right. That's what I'm thinking. You know, you build the fight poster around the number two or maybe call the fight Deuces Are Wild, something like that, perhaps. I don't know. I'll workshop some ideas and uh, the promoters, uh, you know, just call me. I'll, I'll help you out for a fee. I can course. just picture what Fury's going to do with a promotion that's called number two. <laughs> Hmm. Yeah, you're right. I haven't thought this through completely. All right, all right. I'll, again, right. It, it needs I'm a little polish. My halfie, so you, I'm yes, exactly. Talk. You won't live that down anytime soon. Yeah. Um, as for Canelo, I feel more confident about who it won't be than who it will be. Um, I think it won't be Andrade. I don't buy those rumors for a minute. Wrong style, no name value. I am ignoring those rumors, um, and I'm almost as confident that it won't be Callum Smith as we discussed last week um 
I'm still not writing off Golovkin. I think there's a good chance that all these other negotiations are just meant to provide leverage to make Triple G concede something, including, you know, as we've heard, uh, that it might be that he just does not want to fight him again in Vegas. And maybe by making it seem like Canelo has all these other options, he can get him to concede and fight in Vegas. I feel like once Golden Boy has every bit of leverage they want, DAZN might still get the fight that it wants. Mm. Um, and, and I can absolutely see Kovalev happening. You know, they, they lowballed him, but if they come up just a tad, it's still so much more money than Sergey can get against anyone else. Yep. That said, if neither of those fights gets done, then Mungia feels like the right style for a lesser defense of the title, especially on Mexican Independence Day weekend, the Mexican versus Mexican fight. But I still think there's... About a 30% chance it's Golovkin, maybe 35% chance it's Kovalev. Uh, what's that leave? Uh, another 35% chance it's Munguia. Uh, yeah, you know, let, let's say 30% chance Munguia, 5% chance he surprises me and takes on Andrade or Smith or, okay. or someone else not mentioned yet. But uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not giving up on Canelo Golovkin 3. Okay. Good, good. It would be something else if it were Mungia. I mean, what a sort of coming around full circle almost for him over the last two years. Sort of being right. proposed for a Golovkin opponent, being turned down by the Nevada Commission, uh, you know, knocking a couple of guys over, and and then sort of eventually coming around to being possibly a Canelo opponent. So there you well, go. Well, he's le- learning an important lesson if he gets it uh, that all you have to do is look mediocre a couple times in a row <laughs> yes! and you'll get the big fight exactly. you've been hoping for. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, so, of course, but I don't know. We've been trying to do our best to look mediocre for an awfully long time. So <laughs> waiting for that big break. But there you go. All right. That'll do it uh, for another week. Thanks again to Rafe Bartholomew for joining us in our look back at the first part of the year. And please remember to send us your questions via Twitter with the hashtag uh, AskShowPod. Uh, we'll be back next week with a review of the Showbox card. And a look ahead to the big July 20th pay-per-view headlined by Manny Pacquiao and Keith Thurman. Until then, thanks for listening.